This is Let's Talk Tribe, the official Let's Go Tribe podcast, episode 31, Francisco Roni, recorded on May 12th, 2016. Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Tribe, the official Let's Go Tribe podcast, with your hosts, me, Matt Lyons, and Jason Lucart. Jason, how are you? I'm okay. Uh, I'd be better if the Indians hadn't uh, spent five hours losing yesterday. Um, so I'll say I'm fair. Yeah, I didn't get the chance to watch that. I watched until Salazar was out, so I don't completely regret the fact that my kids wanted to go to the park yesterday for the afternoon. <laughs> yeah, it was... Uh, I mean, Salazar, I don't know, like it, on the one hand, he struck out 10 guys in five innings, uh, but on the other hand, he walked six guys in five innings and had to be pulled out of the game after five innings, despite giving up one run because he'd thrown over a hundred pitches. Uh, he's, I mean, he's got a one, one nine Oh ERA right now. So there's obviously no complaining about that. Um, but you can't, he's walking a guy every couple innings on average, and it's almost impossible over a long period of time to be successful with that kind of walk rate. I mean, you can be okay. Um, but he's not going to keep up a 1-9 ERA or a 2-9 ERA uh, if he doesn't find a way to cut down on the walks. And he's not going to be pitching deep into games. Um, I mean, yesterday was sort of a disaster in that after Salazar only pitched five innings, Terry Francona didn't seem to consider the fact that the game might run long and burn through relievers uh, really, really quickly. Um, it was clear that if the game went to extra innings, uh, things were going to get shaky just because by the time it got to, you know, like the 10th, I think Cody Allen was already coming in and you were down to uh, Otero, who hasn't pitched that much, and then Cody Anderson. And of course, that's what it came down to. So it was a really frustrating game. Uh, I, I didn't watch every second of all 16 innings, but I watched a pretty fair amount of it. Um, the Indians also drew one walk in 16 innings, which it's always course, good. It was Carlos Santana. Um, yeah, man, it was a frustrating game. Uh, and another really close loss, which we've already talked about the last two weeks. The close losses are driving me insane. Yeah, and I do wonder if the Indians had Ryan Rayburn if he would have got in at the end, like the last time last yeah. season. It would have been fun to watch, but it doesn't happen. <laughs> so uh, I think we have a great show today. We got all kinds of stuff. We got. We're going to go through the rest of the games in the last week that the Indians played. And then, of course, it already feels like forever ago. I say that about every news story that happened, but uh, Tyler Naquin option to AAA. Cody Anderson recalled to take a spot to take a spot back in the rotation. And then, of course, Michael Brantley and Jose Ramirez, both are a little dinged up. Trevor Bauer has looked great recently. And then that'll kind of lead into who should be the Indians' fifth starter going forward. And then we'll have Twins preview with Brandon Warren. And then, finally, we'll have social media questions. So... Uh, getting right into the game recaps, the last two series against the Royals and the Astros, Indians finished uh, three and three. They did get only the like you said, the last loss was close, but the other two were just total blowouts. Oh um, seven of the Royals, and then one seven of the Astros a couple days ago. So they didn't look too bad, but when they look bad, they look really bad. Um, altogether, they were outscored eighteen to twenty six. On the upside of things, we had Mike Napoli going eight for twenty seven, two home runs, two doubles. Uh, he looked great. Jason Kipnis. I guess technically looked great, but five of his nine hits in the last week came from just last night alone. But that boosted him up way up uh, overall in the last week. And then, of course, on the bad end, it's Jan Gomes in the past week. His 0 for 21, 6Ks, and a negative 78 um, weighted runs created plus. So he's been a little bit off. Uh, what stuck out to you between these last two series? 
Um, Jan Gomes, who I wrote about today, uh, to me looks over. I mean, I don't know. Overwhelmed is the right thing. He, he looks overmatched to me right now. Um, there are times when guys, you know, th- their numbers are down, but while I'm watching them, I feel like they look, you know, pretty decent. You know, I feel like they're getting good swings, making good contact. Uh, Jan Gomes, not just the last week, the last really all season, uh, he's he's been a mess. And so, you know, your prediction before the season that Roberto Perez would end up playing more than him, I think if Roberto Perez were healthy, uh, he'd be starting at least a couple of games a week. And if Gomes didn't start hitting soon, uh, your prediction would look pretty good. I mean, of course, with Perez on the DL, that's not going to happen. Uh, and I think it's less likely that Chris Jimenez starts to take substantial playing time. Uh, but even with Gomes' defense, as good as it is, you you can't hit the way he's hitting. You just can't be in a major league lineup uh, with an on-base percentage below 200. Um, so, And I noticed in comments of your post, people are saying that um, it's just still a small sample size. You can't judge him going forward on that. But how long do you let him stay in when he's just been horrible? Like I said, in the last week alone, he hasn't had a single hit. He's got 100 plate appearances this season, which I know is a small sample. But you can look at his numbers last year. And I know we all wanted to sort of say it was the injury and he hadn't fully recovered. And maybe it was. And maybe it still is. I don't know. But if you combine what he's done this year with what he did last year, now you've got like 500 plate appearances during which he's been a really, really bad hitter. Um, And I know there's the argument that his defense is good enough, you know, that you can kind of get by with a bat. Uh, And while the other option is Chris Jimenez, that's probably true. Uh, But Jan Gomes for the last, you know, calendar year has not been even an average major league player, uh, which is both really disappointing and for me surprising because I was pretty high on him um, by the end of 2014. Um, but he's, he, his at-bats just don't look good to me. Uh, and so he's someone I'm pretty concerned about right now. Um, you know, on the plus side, you know, the five-hit game for Kipnis, you know, hopefully he's getting things turned on. He hasn't been bad, but I wrote about his strikeout rate has been up, um, and some other things haven't looked good, but hopefully he's getting things going. Um, Mike Napoli, another guy who, you know, kind of went through a slump, but has definitely come back out of that slump and, uh, you know, now looks like he could be a 30 home run hitter tribe fans have been waiting for. 30 dingers. <laughs> so it was a really mixed bag. Corey Kluber looking horrific uh, was not fun. I'm not worried about him, but it's not fun watching the team's best pitcher um, get smashed. So, yeah, it was a really mixed bag week. You know, coming off the sweep of the Tigers, uh, then beating the Royals two out of three. I mean, that for me coming off Sunday's game was sort of the high point of the season. Um, and then, yeah, Kluber getting crushed and a frustrating 16-inning loss. Uh, I've already lost a lot of the buzz I had coming off Detroit and Kansas City. <laughs> it's funny how fast that goes away. Corey Kluber was my the thing I was going to point out the most. I wouldn't say I'm worried about him yet either, but the kind of worrying thing is that even in his last start when he looked great, I think that was against Detroit, I think. But in the early goings, he still looked bad. He just worked his way out of it. But the last game, he just didn't. It was just from start to finish, he didn't look good. He only lasted a little over two innings, five hits, five hundred runs. Um, so you're not worried at all about Kluber? Like, not even a tiny, teeny bit? Um, No. I mean, no. Like, 
I guess, I mean, I'm not expecting him to be 2014 Corey Kluber ever again. Um, but in terms of concern that he's no longer like a top, you know, 20 starter, uh, no, I'm still not concerned. Yeah, I think that's about where I am too. And then if we're talking uh, good starts over the week, well, we weren't talking good starts, but if we want to talk good starts, there was Trevor Bauer against Houston. Uh, he went seven innings, uh, seven strikeouts, three walks. Although he had 104 pitches and just 60 of them found the zone, so he still wasn't that sharp. But at this point, I would call that good Trevor Bauer. I think yeah, for the most part, he was finding the strike zone, uh, stuff with good action on it, good control. And he had Chris Jimenez catching for him, which I think, I don't think he's had Jan Gomes a whole lot this season. Maybe I'm just imagining that, but I'm pretty sure before he's had I mean, Perez. You might, it would totally, you know, a lot of teams oftentimes have like a certain starter, not that Bauer's been in the, the rotation the whole time, uh, but I can't say I've noticed. Uh, but yeah, it, he's it, definitely it, a starter with all his stuff. It might take a unique catcher to just follow him around. <laughs> okay. Yeah, um, I mean, Bauer looked great. And I mean, at this point, I think Bauer's pretty firmly back in the rotation for the time being. Um, so certainly him going seven shutout innings, uh, you know, was really nice to see. Oh yeah, for sure. Cody Anderson would have to keep being bad and then somebody would have to replace him and then Cody, Trevor Bauer would have to go down. He's going to be in the rotation at least until Carrasco gets back, I would guess. We'll even still after that. We'll talk about that later, but I think he's probably locked himself back into the rotation rotation. And then speaking of Anderson in our next little news story is that Tyler Naquin was sent down, which on the surface, I mean, it looks bad. He's a quote-unquote 300 hitter. But in his 55 plate, 55 plate appearances, he only had five extra base hits, one walk to 16 strikeouts. So, obviously, his plate appearance, his plate approach could use some work, which he's going to do down in AAA. And then Anderson came back, which I wasn't thrilled about. I made, so I wouldn't really call it a, predic- a prediction. More like almost a wish that we might not see him again this season. But he hasn't been good this year. He got rocked in AAA when he started once, and then his two starts back since he's been back have also been pretty bad. So Tyler Naquin down. He's getting work. Cody Anderson up. He's getting beat up as usual. Uh, what do you think about Naquin going down? Were you happy with that move? And what about um, Anderson coming up as well? In terms of Anderson coming up, uh, I don't know. I didn't really have strong feelings about it one way or another. Um, I, I would have been fine with a different pitcher getting called up. Uh, and I certainly don't have a ton of confidence in Anderson, although he did well for his first couple innings yesterday. Um, and I know it's easy to say he did well until he didn't. But, uh, you know, he struck out four. And, you know, in kind of an unusual situation for him. And he was really efficient in the innings he got through. And then, you know, one bad pitch got hit a few feet too far. Um, so, I don't know. I wasn't as sort of annoyed with Anderson coming back up. I, I don't feel like he's the solution in the starting rotation right now. Um, in terms of Naquin going down, I wasn't surprised. Uh, I wasn't re- – to me, I was more bummed seeing Naquin go down than I was seeing Anderson come back up. And that's largely just because I'd rather have a smaller bullpen, but I've felt that way for two years. And at some <laughs> that's point – That's not going to change. With Terry Francona's gigantic bullpen preferences. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think Naquin's – you know, whatever a, a baseball fan imagines, like, oh, he's a 315 hitter. Like, I have no, you know, delusion about Tyler Naquin being that kind of baseball player right now. Um, but, you know, I think his defense has looked pretty good. Um, his offense has been better than expected. Um, and while Brantley is 
sort of out. The outfield is, again, kind of like a weak spot. Um, but I anticipated Naquin going down at some point this year. Um, and so it's not, I don't think, a big deal. Uh, I think, you know, in some situations, his teammates would be sort of frustrated at seeing a player with a 315 batting average get sent down. Um, but I think under the circumstances, I, I can't imagine they're, you know, not that they don't like him or anything like that, but I don't think it's one of those things where you're going to have the, you're losing the clubhouse with a personnel move. So I'm not worried about that. Um, you I just know 14 year old Jake Reloach. That's all. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> and I will say, look at the first place White Sox. Now they've gotten a new team leader instead of a teenage <laughs> boy. Suddenly they're the best team in the American League. <laughs> Weird how that works. Let this be the lesson of the season. A teenage boy should not be your team leader. <laughs> or maybe he should and then get rid of him the next year and then you'll be great. Maybe yeah, that's the new efficiency. Everyone will seem great. Yes. Um, and I'm sorry to poor Drake LaRoche, who's probably a much better kid than most teenagers. Um, but I really want to find a way to work that situation into as many episodes <laughs> of the podcast as possible. <laughs> I'm sure he's a listener, so he's probably listening. Everybody is. Um, but yeah, right now, in terms of Nakun going down, it, it's more just I'm like a little concerned about the outfield again because last week I said, you know, I'm not worried about Brantley's batting line, you know, not having picked up quite yet. Um, and then he had a couple good games last week, but now that he's not playing again, it goes back to uh, not being concerned about his performance, but yes, being concerned about his health. Yeah, that's pretty much where I am. I think. In the long, I don't. They probably weren't thinking this far ahead with it. It was probably just to clear up a roster spot. But I think in the end, they might have saved Naquin from <laughs> rabid Indians fans because you know he's not going to keep hitting that well with that with striking out that much and walking that little. Eventually, he's going to come crashing back and regressing, and then everybody would turn all turn on him all of a sudden. So I think fans might not realize like, it. Maybe even Naquin won't realize got, it, but it's good. To the major leagues, um, he did well. So on some level, that sort of boosts his confidence. Uh, yeah, and like you said, like they didn't wait for his production to fall off, which it was probably going to. So that's a good way of looking at it. Now he can kind of go back to Columbus, feeling good about himself, um, but also work on some stuff he needs to work on. And then if he gets traded or just retires now for some reason, he'll always be loved in Cleveland, and everyone will hate the front office. Even if he goes somewhere and just is horrible. So <laughs> I'm sure he'll be back at some point. So moving on, you said we're talking about the outfield. I guess both of these guys, technically, with how much Jose Ramirez has been playing out there, but... Brantley is out. Um, they, they said the main thing when he when he came back that the worry was going to be his shoulder bouncing back and letting him play right away, which apparently it's kind of a huge red flag, I would think, is that it's not ba- bouncing back the way it should be. So he's sitting out. I think he sat out most of the Houston series. He might have played one game. And then Ramirez uh, stubbed his finger sliding into second Houston. He should be fine. He technically could have played yesterday. I don't know. Did he come in late? I didn't watch the whole thing. Uh, did he come in late? I feel like he... Did play as like a, I think he came in as a pinch runner and then the game kept going and going. So I, he played third base for, I think, like all of the extra innings. I can't remember what inning he came into the game, but he was, yeah, so he he was he's in fine, third obviously. base for a pretty good chunk of the game. Yeah, so I'm not worried about him at all. It was just an injury to note, but Brantley, slightly a little bit worried because he looked like he was hitting fine. Nothing looked bad, but apparently he's just hurting him after every game. Are you worried about either one of them? Uh, Ramirez, no. I mean, I do think sliding head first is just the riskier way to slide, and a player jamming a finger is not at all surprising. Um, you know, I think I, don't, I think it's very rare that players stop 
sliding face forward, you know, face first, if that's how they're used to sliding. Um, so I don't think we'll see that change. And yeah, he's already back, so I'm not worried about him being out. Uh, and frankly, if he didn't slide uh, face first, we wouldn't have got the incredible play the other night where he hit a double and his batting helmet fell off, bounced off his butt, bounced off his calf, bounced off his foot, flew through the air, and then came down like three seconds it later. Rocketed and hit it off his foot. <laughs> Uh, one of the coolest looking plays you'll ever see. And frankly, even if he had broken his hand and his career was over, his face first sides probably would have been worth it just for that play. <laughs> right. Especially if it would have landed on his head. I'm sad it just missed, but it was still cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, Brantley didn't play the last two games. Um, and after looking like he was hitting better, you know, I think last week, when we talked, he was coming off a four-hit game against Detroit, and he had hit safely in all three of those games, and things looked to be clicking. Uh, you know, then he, I think, only had one hit uh, in his three games before sitting out the last couple. So I don't know when the shoulder started to bother him again. If you were looking at his statistics, you would say he was good for the Detroit series, and then, well, they waited for Kansas City to come to, that, to town. It started to bother him. So yeah, I am a little worried. If he's on when he was on the field, I wasn't. Uh, you know, him going over four doesn't concern me. Um, but yeah, I mean, when we talked about his return all through spring training and the timeline kept getting moved up, and that was exciting. But we both kept saying, like, I just want him to be a hundred percent when he comes back. So it'd be really disappointing if he wasn't, or if he was, but now he's not again, because uh, that starts to damage my confidence that he's going to be a hundred percent for an extended period at all this season, which would of course be a big loss. So I want to get back to Brantley in a minute, but as a total aside, I was just watching, um, I forget what show it was, MLB Network, I think MLB Central. They had Bill Nye on to promote one of his books. He said that nobody should ever be sliding first just because it kills momentum. And he said the only person who he would ever recommend to do it is Ricky Henderson. Outside of that, he doesn't want anybody sliding head first. Not even just the injury thing. It's just that the second you leave your feet, you kill all your momentum. So I'll take it just for the fun of watching Jose Ramirez's <laughs> helmet fly off. <laughs> but I mean, if we're talking what he should be doing, I don't want to see sweet baby Francisco sliding. <laughs> he needs to go feet first. Please don't let that catch on. If that catches on, Jason, <laughs> I do not want sweet baby Francisco. Frankie is almost bad enough. I'm pushing for cat's pajamas. I know that's not going to catch on. I, I have proven to myself I lack the uh, the pull to make a nickname stick. Um, if I could, for Francisco, it would be the cat's pajamas, and that's not going to happen for anyone but me either. <laughs> that's perfectly yeah, okay, though. Sweet baby Francisco. That, that wasn't <laughs> a nickname. That was just my true feelings for him coming out. Okay, good. <laughs> um, oh, the other one I saw was the Francisco treat. It's like rice aroni is a San Francisco treat. I don't want that to catch on either, but that was funny. Oh, I got so, I, it took me a second to even register what you meant. No, I, if he played for the Giants, I guess that would make sense or something. They could call him Rice Aroni, but yeah, I want nothing to do with that. Right, exactly. I really, I'm not a huge fan of nicknames that are a play off a guy's name because that's just half a step removed from A Rod, which is like I've I've gone through this numerous times in print and audio. Uh, I just I don't think A-Rod's a nickname. That's just like an abbreviation of his name, which I don't count as a nickname. Like, the crime dog is a nickname. Right. Um, I and I love when nicknames have, like, like crime dog is a play on McGriff and McGruff. So I love that. But I don't like nicknames that are just, like, abbreviations or using the guy's name and then adding something else to it. So if and when Lindor gets a proper nickname, I don't want Francisco or Lindor to be... 
Yeah, I don't mind the dash names all that much. The thing I don't like, which I think you mentioned, I saw you mention this before, was with Giovanni Urshela. How we've been trying to tag him with Monstro. And people just call him Gio. That's that's such a boring nickname. Just yeah, yeah. literally well, part of his name. Is the name. That's just a the beginning of his name, and then you just didn't say the rest of it. Right. And then we also have J-Ram, Jose Ramirez, who the Angry Hamster is so much better. Yes. Which I think so Cody Searle brought up that one. Weird nicknames that aren't just the guy's name are just... Just the way he looks. He looks like an angry hamster, and it's great. <laughs> so I completely forgot what I was going to say about Brantley, but it was okay. We got on the nicknames. That's better. So anything else uh, that you wanted to add about either one of those two? No. Uh, like I said, I mean, if if Brantley – I hope a week from now we're like, oh, man, why are we worried about Brantley? He's fine. Right. That's my hope <laughs> right now. Oh, not – not related to those two, but another thing, I guess, is just worth mentioning that earlier today, Giovanni Urshela went on the seven-day minor league disabled list. He'll probably be out at least a couple weeks with a strained right hamstring that he got rounding in a second. The kind of neat thing is that it led to Yandy Diaz getting called up, uh, playing his first time in AAA since the very end of last season. But still, that's not good to see Monstro injured. But that's just another little ding that's going on in the minors. Yeah, I and I hadn't even heard about it. Um... Yeah, but it doesn't yeah, look too serious. That, I don't think, you know, neither. Yanni himself got hit in the hand. So they're yeah. both kind of injured, but I guess Yanni can play earlier than he can. Moving on, uh, we have Trevor Bauer. He looked great. <laughs> I guess it's just the easiest way to put it his last three starts. We'll, I guess we'll say Trevor Bauer great. Because like I said, in the last game in Kansas City, we lasted seven innings. It still wasn't perfect, but it was really good for Trevor Bauer especially. And then before that in Detroit, five and two-thirds inning, three earned runs, two walks, four strikeouts. Then a similar game before that, in his first start of this year altogether, I believe, was four innings, uh, three in runs, two walks, four strikeouts. So do you think he cemented himself in the lineup? I'm thinking, or not lineup, but rotation. I know now for sure before Carrasco was back, but what about when he's back and then when there's potential prospects coming up? I mean, is Trevor Bauer there in the rotation to stay as long as he's on the Indians now? Or is he going to get bumped back to the bullpen whenever anybody comes along and... I mean, I, I certainly think he can pitch his way back out of the rotation, um, but I don't think he can get bumped because someone else is back at this point. Like, I don't think, you know, Bauer's ERA for the season, and this includes his, his bullpen work, his ERA right now I think is like 3-8-something. Um, and I feel like if he's pitching, you know, six-plus innings a start and his ERA is, is, is around 3-8, uh, other than Crasco, of course, I don't think there's anyone else who like. I don't think Cody Anderson keeps his spot ahead of Bauer. I don't think one of the guys in the minor leagues comes up and takes Bauer's spot or anything like that. So I think if he can pitch the way he's pitched, um, you know, it's it's his spot again. Um, but I'm not gonna, you know, I'm happy that he looked so good uh, his last time out. Um, I'm, you know, not convinced that. His next two starts, he won't give up, you know, five, six walks and two home runs a game again. So, right. um, yeah. So that kind of leads right into our uh, next topic: is who should be that fifth starter? And this only really matters until Carrasco comes back. Because I mean, when he comes back, I think it's pretty obvious it's going to be Kluber, Carrasco, Salazar, and then Bauer and Tomlin are the four slash five guys. But until then, uh, I know Cody Anderson came in relief, so. Maybe he'll miss a start. I don't think he does because of the off day. He doesn't have to. But um, any chance that you see Ryan Merritt or Mike Clevenger making a, um, making a start at least once before Carrasco comes back? Uh, yeah. I mean, I definitely think there's a chance. I can't remember. You know, I don't have a 
I don't know that we know quite when Carrasco will be back yet. Um, and like you said, Anderson's turn can just be skipped right now. Um, but, you know, there's definitely going to be a need for a fifth starter, you know, between now and Carrasco's return multiple times. Uh, I think Anderson coming back up means he's getting um, a turn at least. And so I guess that would be well, like Monday or Tuesday next week against Cincinnati. Um but if he doesn't do well in that start, and certainly if he's, he doesn't do well then and again versus Boston, I don't, I don't think he's got three more starts in him if the first two aren't good. Um, yeah, I'd be surprised yeah. with just one more bad outing, I would yeah, think. I, I mean, I, like, yeah, I don't know quite what the tipping point when he pitches against Cincinnati. Like if he goes you know, five and two-thirds and gives up three runs, I think he probably gets another start. Uh, you know, if he goes four and two-thirds and gives up four runs, and I think he probably doesn't. So, um, but yeah, I mean, certainly one more very bad start or two more pretty bad starts and before the end of the month, I think he's not starting anymore. And so then you've got, I don't know if it, you know, another one or two starts in May, I think, you know, before Carrasco would be back uh, that, you know, Merritt or Clevenger would come up. Um, I lean probably a little towards Merritt. Uh, I know when Clevenger has come up before, it's largely been to point out that in the let's go try prospect um, polling that we did, um, he did really, really well. What was he? Was he three on the list? Yeah, he was three overall. I think I'm pretty sure. Um, The highest pitcher. The highest pitcher, yeah. And when that's come up, I've said I wasn't sort of that, you know, wasn't that high on him. Um, so, I mean, I guess long-term, I'd probably say I'm higher, a little higher on him than I am on Merritt. But right now, um, you know, a guy to come up and pitch two or three games before Carrasco's back, I think Merritt's the guy I would go with. Right, that's the important thing. As a prospect overall, Clevenger's probably better. But Merritt, he's just a little bit closer, more polished. He's got his walk right down around four in the minors right now compared to 12% for Clevenger. But I think if it's going to be... Well, Ryan in the comments made a great, a whole big argument about why it should be Merritt, which I think was really great, which I agree with. Uh, if it's just a start or two, it's going to be Merritt. When he's ready to come up and be in the rotation, it'll probably be Clevenger, but probably not towards the end of the year. Right. I think. Yeah, that seems good. That seems right. Our next series is going to be against the Twins, and we're going to have a little preview here. Um, they have been atrocious, <laughs> except when they played the Indians, of course, but we're not going to talk about that. On the season, they've been 8-25. and 25. They rank almost dead last in every hitting category. Um, just about middle of the pack in pitching, besides Bapit, which I guess their just defense is horrible. I haven't really checked on that too much, but they have, of course, Jose Barrios, who looked he, he looks exciting, but he strikes out a lot. He's walked a ton. He's still young. He'll get there, but right now, just not quite. And they kind of have their own little Carlos Santana situation going on with Joe Maurer, who has a 17% walk rate this year, and he's finally hitting leadoff for the first time in his career, which I guess is going well. And of course, they have. Young Hope Park, who they signed this offseason to a four-year, $12 million deal. He's hit seven home runs already. And then Byron Buxton, big-time prospect. He got sent back down. He doesn't look too good. So what are you looking for out of this twin series coming up? Uh, well, not losing two games to them again would be nice. Uh, the Twins have won three games in the last three weeks, and two of them were against the Indians. So uh, I would really like to avoid a repeat of that. Um, yeah, I mean, they're just, they're a bad baseball team. And I know bad baseball teams beat good baseball teams, much less okay baseball teams all the time. Um, but I'd really like point the Indians. Yeah. Uh, I'd really like to see the Indians. 
I mean, I'd like to see him sweep them. And I don't, I mean, obviously I'd always like that, but I don't really talk about sweeping much. Um, but yeah, I want the sweep right now. The, their pitching is a mess. I'm not intimidated in the least by any of the guys that they're going to be starting against the Indians. Um, and so the Indians are going to have the better pitcher and they have the better lineup. Like there's no reason they shouldn't be winning those games. Uh, and and, uh, and I'll, I'll take two of three, but they should be beating the twins and coming off a lot, a series loss to them. I want some payback. Um, <laughs> right. You know, it's, it's, I'm not at all like, it's way too early, but there's, it'd be stupid to be like out on the Indians right now. And I know a lot of Cleveland people already are because it takes nothing for them to be out on the Indians. And I'm certainly not that. Um, but I would just love to watch them play like extended good baseball. And they keep, you know, they, the series against Detroit and Kansas City, I mean, winning five of six, I guess that's like semi-extended good baseball. Um, you know, but then they lose their next series. If they can, if they can take this weekend series against the Twins – then losing, you know, the series in the middle to uh, the Astros just feels like a little blip, and it'll feel like they are playing extended good baseball. Like they can't get, like I, I'd love to see an Indians team like six, seven games above five hundred, and it's been literally years since they've been in that situation right now. Uh, so if they're a contending team, like I just want an extended long run, and the next week they're playing Minnesota and Cincinnati, and neither of those are good teams. Like the Indians need to win like five or six of their next seven games. Um, that's what I want. Right, and I can't imagine the sky is falling kind of stuff we're going to get if they get swept by the Twins somehow. Even if they lose two out of three, it's going to be unbearable, I think, for a little while. Yeah, and if they so, lose two out of three, they're back to 500. And, you know, other than the White Sox, the whole, you know, the the – the Royals and Tigers are below 500 right now. So it's, but it's just like, it, and it's only May, but at some point they need to put together a good stretch of baseball and beating up on the worst team in the league is a good way to get that going. So uh, we're going to take a quick break and then we will be back to preview the twins with cold Omaha, Minnesota twins beat reporter, Brandon Warren. Stick around. And we are back. We are joined with Brandon Warren of ColdOmaha.com, beat reporter for the Minnesota Twins. Uh, Brandon, how are you? Doing good. It's been a pretty rough go for our boys, but uh, you know it's a long season. Kind of holding out hope that it's going to be at least somewhat interesting down the stretch, but so far it has not been very good. <laughs> oh yeah, we know that feeling in Cleveland quite a bit. Maybe not this season, but in plenty of past seasons. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for sure. So uh, getting right into it, from an outsider's perspective – just watching the Twins, one of the things I like the most is watching prospects come up. And then you had Byron Buxton, and just holy cow, he wasn't very good this year. Uh, 4% walk rate, struck out in almost 50% of his at-bats. What went wrong there, and is there quite a bit of hope left? Honestly, it was just, it seemed like at times he was taking better plate appearances than he was down down the stretch last year when he really, really struggled. And I know the numbers won't bear that out, but I felt like there were times where he was laying off like, you know, righty sliders on the outside corner or further out. He was doing better with laying those off, you know, really getting into fewer vulnerable two-strike counts. The issue is when you strike out almost 50% of the time, that's still finding yourself in a whole lot of of two-strike counts. Honestly, there's still lots of hope there. And, in fact, he's gone down to AAA Rochester, and he's done some pretty good things, Uh, you know, some big games and stuff. But I think that it's going to be a situation where it's kind of a slow burn with him. One, they've got a guy in center field that, you know, in, in Danny Santana that, they kind of like, they don't necessarily love, but he can hold it down until they're sure that Buxton is really ready to come up and, and you know, solidify this 
spot, and they can't mess this up. You know, they traded Aaron Hicks to the Yankees. That was their erstwhile center fielder. They cannot screw Byron Buxton up, number one prospect in the game. So they will do whatever it takes to make sure that he's ready. And so I think that there's still plenty of optimism. The guy's only 22 years old. But it's a situation now where it's, it's it, there is a little bit of damage control at play, I think. Well, it's good to hear there's still optimism because he's just been one of my favorites to watch in the minors. There's always these mm-hmm. great vines of him just flying around the bases, which are fun to watch. And I know I like defense and outfield too, and he just flies everywhere. So it, it sucks that he's going to play against the Indians so often, but I'm looking forward to him to be good. Maybe he can just slump for like 20 games a season against Cleveland. Other than that, he can be as great as he wants to. I don't care. You know, listen, Jim Tomey wouldn't do that back in the day, so I don't <laughs> think we're going to make any deals. <laughs> exactly. So uh, you guys with Joe Maurer, you have a similar situation. In Cleveland, we have Carlos Santana, who's not uh, hes not much of a base stealer at all, but he's an on-base machine. And you guys have Joe Maurer, who has like a 17% walk rate this season. He's finally leading off. What's the general thought on that? Is it is it a good thing, or is it just kind of a desperation with how bad the Twins have been this year? You know, I was just talking to August Fagerstrom of Fangraphs about that today, and it's very similar situations. They've been talking about leading these guys off for so long. I know Tito had teased it for a long time, and even dating back to the Guardi days, they had teased it with Maurer, and you know, it's just a situation where the offense has just been so bad that you know he's been one of the only guys that's been hitting where you just got to start up top. And honestly, they've talked about it for for a very long time, and it, you know, it's just been a situation now where they're finally willing to throw something at the wall and just see what sticks, and, and hopefully this is one of those things. But it's only been a couple games. He had two hits and a walk in uh, the last game against Baltimore. But, you know, they're, they're going to let this play out for a while. I think they're facing like eight righties in a row. And so it's going to be a situation where they're going to see how long this uh, this thing can go. Yeah, it's good. I hope it's just kind of a turning of the, I don't know what to call it there, but just people realizing that it's better to put on base people first instead of just speedy. I mean, the Indians right now are going back and forth between Santana and Rajai Davis, but it'll be cool to see Joe Bauer just keep getting leadoff hits, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. So, uh, <laughs> pretty wide-open question. What the heck went wrong? The Twins last year, they they were a surprise team. I remember the Indians chasing them all year long. What happened this year that they just fell so far so quick? You know, they've just been bad in every aspect of the game, like below average or well below average. The bullpen has been not good. The rotation has been really bad. The offense has been really bad. And, you know, they, they've each had their moments where they've been okay. The bullpen is striking people out for the first time. But it's just every facet of the game is below average or well below average. And they have terrible timing. If they need a strikeout, they're not getting it. If they need a timely hit, they're not getting it. If they need a bullpen to throw a clean inning, they're not getting that either. And so it's just been a situation where everything that could go wrong has gone wrong. And then there's been injuries. Irvin Santana, Kyle Gibson, Trevor Plouffe, Eduardo Escobar have all missed time. And then you've had guys like Byron Buxton, Miguel Sano struggle too. And it's just been a it's been a real rough situation. So is that I mean, is that is there any hope for this season at all, or is it pretty much as a lost cause and just playing for next year? No, I mean they're still it's still a talented team. It's a, it's a more talented team than last year's team that won 83 games. And so honestly, it's it's a situation where I just don't understand why they're as bad as they are. But, you know, with how the team is structured, it should be a 500 team and the team that should be in the thick of it in the American League because the American League is just crazy this year. And right now, that's they're not anywhere close to that. Not even not even with Pythagorean record, not even with base runs. Like, I don't think they've played 8-25 and 25 bad, but holy smokes, have, have they been horrible. <laughs> so if, they, if you think they're around a 500 team this year, when would you just a good 
guess out of the air here. When do you think their window to win would be? Are they in it now? Are you they know, just about to go into it? Or it, it it should be opening at you know this season. I think last year was premature, but it should be the kind of thing that's opening and next year should be something they can jump right into. They they still need to get like the feet wet of the Jose Barrioses and the and the Byron Buxtons and all that. And you know Miguel Sano. I don't think anybody planned for Miguel Sano to struggle at all this year. He's slugging like 380, and so. You know, it's been a situation where it's been he's been a guy that can be pitched to a little bit more this year. He's striking out an awful lot. So the, 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 the tough thing is to narrow down a timeline with a team so reliant on youth. And it's it's one of those things where, you know, I think they need to surround these young guys with a veteran, very nice player that can kind of show them the way. And I'm not talking about like a Tory Hunter type. I'm talking about like Jason Hayward, if it was you know, this offseason, go out and make a huge splash because when you got Byron Buxton cheap and you got Miguel Sano cheap and you've got Max Kepler who's cheap, you know, all those things, that's the time you can really, you know, put a big deal contract kind of guy around them and, and, and kind of build from there. And so, you know, if, if that doesn't happen this offseason, then I really, really have to question the direction because they just, you you can't do it all from internally. And, you know, you can only waste so much of Joe Maurer's career with awful teams before it's like, okay, well, what were you doing paying him 20-odd million but not surrounding him with talent? You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know <laughs> watching some Indians teams and I'm definitely <laughs> what that's like. Right. So it wasn't quite a Jason Hayward splash, but the Twins did sign Bianco Park to a four-year $12 million deal. I know that's a player a lot of Indians players wanted just because he's a first-base DH type. He has a ton of power. He already has seven home runs on the year. Stri- strikes out quite a bit, but he's got on base enough. Mm-hmm. Um so what's the general feeling on him? Is it a good contract? You think? Are you glad the Twins signed him? Yeah, I mean, I think the contract's great, not only from a price standpoint, but it's brought more attention to the Twin Cities from a, a bigger, more diverse media market. And I think it's just been great, too, to have that kind of raw power on the roster, kind of guy that you can pair with Miguel Snow in the middle of the lineup. And when things are going right, they're very tough to be pitched to. Again, you're going to strike out a lot, but a lot of power hitters do these days. And so I think, you know, you can play a little bit of first base. He's got kind of goofy mechanics over there, but has done a nice enough job, and honestly, the, the raw power is just mind-blowing. I mean, you're talking about a guy who has also hit some some curveballs, some off-speed pitches for home runs, too, so he's kind of learning how to handle big league pitching on the fly. But he, he hasn't had to be shielded quite yet. I think there was a word that it would be a little bit of a slow burn, you know, kind of like his fellow countryman, Jung-Ho Kang of the, the Pirates, but he, he's done a nice job, and if there's more left to come from him, it's a very, very cool proposition for Twins fans. Yeah, of course. I mean, <laughs> I would have liked him on the Indians too, but I think he's going to be good on the Twins. That'll be fun to watch just from a distance. For sure. So our last question is just kind of one we ask all our preview teams that we're asking. So when the first, when you think of the Cleveland Indians, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? For me, it's pitching, honestly, because the offense, you know, I thought was going to lag behind a little bit. And so, you know, with Carrasco, Kluber, and, and Salazar, you know, those three guys are kind of number um, number one starters, each of them, for me. And, uh, you know, obviously Carrasco out. Kluber's numbers haven't looked as good as you might have hoped. But Salazar, too, has, has got, had pretty good numbers. You know, it's that in the bullpen. You know, again, that's been up and down, too. I broke them down a little bit today. But honestly, for me, it begins and ends with Cleveland's pitching. And uh, obviously, if, I, if I'm allowed to have a 1B, I, I absolutely love Francisco Lindor. He's one of my favorite players in the entire game. And it's an absolute joy to watch him play defense. And he can hit, too, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I get, we'll count him as a 1B, but I think that's implied. I think... No matter what answer you give, we know that right after that comes Francisco Lindor. <laughs> he exactly. Yeah, he's fantastic. <laughs> so uh, that is our preview with the Twins with Brandon Warren, uh, Minnesota Twins beat reporter for ColdOmaha.com. Brandon, thank you for joining us. I appreciate it. Thank you.
And we are back. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Brandon Warren of ColdOmaha.com. Nice to talk some twins with uh, someone else who knows the twins, even if they haven't been so great. So, <laughs> Yeah, someone in the unfortunate position of having to know the twins. <laughs> that poor guy. I mean, I guess I can feel for him. Well, I can't feel for anybody being an Indians fan. Nobody's had it quite as bad, I don't think. So getting right into the social media questions here. Our first question is going to be from Matt McPhee on Facebook. He asked, what do you feel is Cody Anderson's biggest issue? Locating his pitches or what appears to be almost no movement on his fastball? And he also says, keep up the great work. Do you think he meant so, Cody Anderson keep up the great work or do you think he meant us? <laughs> I'm going to take a shot in the dark and guess he meant us. Just just a guess. So I actually looked it up. Um, if people don't know what the Facebook, not Facebook, Fangraph's uh, pitch values are, I just wanted to see where Cody's ranks and pitch values. So what they are is it basically answers the question, how well is a pitcher performed using said pitch? And then it uses like a weighted formula similar to what we use weighted ones created all the time. Weighted runs created plus. So it's like a similar thing to that. It just kind of averages it out. So these numbers mean basically over zero is good, under zero is bad, obviously. So Anderson, his weighted fastball value is negative 2.8. Obviously not good. His weighted cutter value is negative 3.3, which is third worst among all AL starters with at least 20 innings pitched. And then his curveball, negative 2. It's one of the worst in the AL. And then his changeup, negative 1.6. So whatever it is exactly that's not working... Uh, it's just really not working. He has no pitch that he can use to get anybody out right now. He's never really been a strikeout guy. His only strength has been that he doesn't walk anybody, which he's not walking a ton right now, but his stuff is just so easy to hit. It's just not located well. I think it's everything. There's just no moving on his pitches. It's not located well. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, he's looked really bad. <laughs> uh, you know, I think the uptick in velocity it was easy to sort of get excited about that and think you know the one thing he doesn't do very well is strike guys out and that can change uh and yeah he's striking out more guys and yeah his walk rate's good um but yeah like you said his his pitches are just really really hittable um and you know a 95 mile per hour fastball with no movement isn't a big deal for even a decent major league hitter um you know so the velocity isn't saving him from his real problems, which is just stuff that doesn't have enough movement on it. Um, so, you know, as we talked about earlier, uh, you know, I think he's, he's got at least one more start, uh, you know, maybe two more starts. And if neither of those two starts are, are pretty solid, uh, I don't think we'll see him starting again for the Indians uh, unless there's a <laughs> disastrous chain of injuries. <laughs> Well, that feels like so long ago that we were excited about his velocity. Yeah, but like you I, said, it doesn't matter. I, I He's pitching faster. He's not doing anything. I fell for it. <laughs> yeah, but it's just not doing him any good whatsoever. Um, the next question comes from Twitter. It's at Hiram Boyd. He asks, how long before we see Jose Ramirez in the lineup every day? Is the first question, and we'll just sort of pause and we'll do the next one next. So when do you think we'll see him every day playing? Um, I don't really think we'll see him. Like, I mean, in terms of... Him having, like, this, this is his position, uh, I don't expect... I mean, I guess if, if, if Uribe continues to struggle, I guess he could be the guy at third base. I mean, that's what he's been playing more and more. Um, and But I think I feel like... And I'm, we've talked about how well Ramirez has been playing and, you know, really happy with that. Um, 
but I still feel like he's sort of viewed as just the utility guy. And I think he's going to play a lot as a utility guy because he'll play a couple times at third base and he'll, you know, play in the outfield once a week, maybe, you know, depending on if Brantley's back or not, uh, maybe even twice a week. And he'll occasionally, very occasionally, hopefully fill in at shortstop or second base. Um, but he just doesn't feel like, because shortstop would be the most likely position and that better not happen. We're going to have to cancel the podcast for sadness if, if Lindor's not the shortstop. Um, <laughs> I feel like there's not a position where Ramirez really feels like he should be the guy. So I'm content just to enjoy him starting, you know, like four games a week, which is pretty close to every day, um, but just playing in that kind of utility role. I, I think if, if, he, if he is starting one position, the same position, you know, five plus times a week, it would be third base and it would be... Uh, you know, Uribe just having had an, enough of a look that Francona felt like he just didn't have it anymore. Yeah, and I think the whole getting Ramirez to play every day is kind of like a growing sentiment among any Indians fan. It was just a couple people before, but now everybody just wants to play somewhere. And for what it's worth, he has played at least a part in 25 games so far. And he has 85 played appearances. That's more than Juan Uribe and more than Marlon Bird. So he's getting quite a bit of playing time. It's not like... Frank Cohen I mean, hasn't used if him. playing every day just means being one of the nine guys who plays the most, you're right. He's already right. there. Yeah, which I think is what he's going to be. Like you said, he's not really an every day at every any position, but especially on a team with this many veterans at so many spots. Well, I guess not so many veterans, but so many or a few really old veterans who need a day off at least a couple times a week. It's good to have someone like Ramirez who you can just throw in there at any time. And he's been pretty okay on defense. Uh, it's really still too early for like metrics for anything, but he has one defensive run saved in left field. And a negative, role, negative one at third base, which, I mean, you can't really count that quite yet. So, uh, moving on to our last question here. This one should be short and easy. Uh, Mike Schaefer on Twitter asks, what's Aiken's timetable to pitching in competitive games? Just a short answer is, who knows? <laughs> There's nothing official from the Indians or anything. He's currently still in extended spring training, which I know doesn't answer your question. That's not competitive pitching. I think, most likely, he'll start the season in Mahoning Valley with the Scrappers in June for a short season. And I don't see any reason why the Indians would rush him back from Tommy John's surgery. Maybe this comes from, I'm in the middle of reading The Arm by Jeff Basson, but I'm terrified of Tommy John's surgeries now. So <laughs> I'm hoping the Indians are too, and they're going to be cautious with him and bringing him back. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, like you, he, he's only 19. Uh, and so in terms right, of his timetable with the Indians, there's a ton of time before he's going to get there. And I know the question is more just about competitive baseball, and that certainly, uh, you know, could be a lot, should be later this season. Um but I think in his situation, whether he's back in competitive games in, you know, June, July, August, or, you know, Arizona Fall League, none of that really, I think, does much to change kind of his Cleveland Indians, uh, you know, timeline. Um, so I think, you know, hopefully he just continues to stay healthy this year. Uh, and if, even if he's not pitching in many kind of, you know, proper games before the end of the season, that would that's not a big concern to me in the grand scheme of um, his potential to help the tribe. Yeah, you nailed it. He's 19. Because I mean, it doesn't really matter if he's doing competitive games or spring training, I wouldn't think right now. As long as he's working out his arm and nothing explodes, we'll be good. But he's really <laughs> exciting for the next few years, I think. So uh, if anybody asked a question and it didn't get answered, I mean, we're recording this on Thursday night. So technically, quote unquote, right now, we have Tyler Griffith on Facebook. He's doing a live Q&A. We're going to probably do this. He does them usually on off days. He does a Q&A. He actually did his first post game last week, 
But every time we do a podcast, we get a ton of great questions, and we only have time to answer like two or three. So either Tyler's going to do it. I might even hop on and do it like after we record just to get more people's questions answered because I always feel bad leaving them unanswered. But if you ask something, it should be answered either here or in the Facebook Live video, which always you can always find on our Facebook page. And then that is our show. Anything exciting for you coming up this week? No, which I said like a question. No, I don't think so. I had a busy <laughs> weekend last weekend. Uh, I have kind of... I'm about to get hammered by a mountain of grading that has to get put together before the end of the school year. I think this weekend is like my calm before the storm. So I'm hopefully going to be really lazy. <laughs> there you go. Why not? And we, we talked about this off camera about talking about Captain America, but I'm a terrible person and I didn't watch it yet. <laughs> but I'm definitely watching it this weekend. I already have it set up where my in-laws are going to watch the kids and we're going to go see it finally. Yes. At some point we will have our summer movie discussion. Did you already see it? But we should probably see a summer movie right. or two before we have that discussion. That'd be good, yeah. We'll just talk about trailers. Just pretend we saw it. Okay, so that's all we have. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, uh, Brandon Warren, for joining us. And thank you, everyone else, for listening. Thanks.